Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. And yes, it's welcome back to the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. And I know you've missed this. It's been a whole week since we've been on. So we are stoked to be here. Joining me in studio today, Matt Dixon. And D- Matt? Yeah. Does it feel like a Tuesday, David? Oh gosh, it's I no, it feels like a Monday all It over really again. does. It really does. Everything was out of sync, uh, and and so this week it doesn't surprise me. Uh, the markets are just trying to figure out what the heck is going on with the world. <clears throat> I'm, I got to check something um, here. Do some fun tap dance for our listeners. Okay. Um, well, why don't we just talk about all that Thanksgiving food for a minute? Because <laughs> I was averaging four slices of pie per day. Um, Gotta love it. Up until yesterday. Dude, so it happened again good. today. Low volume again? Low volume again. Man, we are on a streak, aren't we? Yeah, and, and just so you know, we're, we're sort of um, swagging volume here, but uh, I was looking at the SPY. If you, sure. if you don't know, that's a ticker symbol for an exchange-traded fund that that holds the holdings of the S&P 500, mm-hmm. okay? And typical average daily volume is over 91 million traded shares in a day. Right. Traded about 52,000 shares today. Similarly, yesterday, and similarly- 52 million? 52 million, so yeah. that's a fraction. Right, right? almost half. Yeah, well, just right. over I half, mean, it's, just it's, over yeah, half. Yeah, it's somewhere like 56, 57%, whatever, but mm-hmm. it's- not nearly uh, the typical volume you'd expect. Do you want to talk to the listeners for a second about how that can affect pricing when the volume is low, if there's not a ton of buyers out there? Well, you're halfway there. Why don't you just finish the thought? <laughs> well, you know, you look at it, and if there's not a ton of buyers, the spread, right, between the bid and the ask, between the share price can widen because... You know, it that, that's gaps. that is one potential, mm-hmm. right? Uh, typically, if you trade, you know, fifty million shares in a day, the right. spread stays pretty narrow. The issue is, there. It's hard to explain. I'm going to try to paint you a visual, but there's a there's a bunch of people out there that have different buy or sell prices mm-hmm. that they predefined. Okay, and so when you hear things like computerized trading or algorithmic trading and so forth, then what the computers or algorithms are tr- attempting to do, like an, like an algorithm's a person, right? It's just a program that's tracking data and behaving when it sees certain data recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what an algo will do is it will say, um, here's a fictional one, but maybe it'll say, well, if you see is below a certain amount of volume and then the price goes up three ticks and then you look above uh, and don't see any um, buy or sell orders uh, you know above you for this big a gap then, it draws then buy a whole bunch yeah. right and what it'll do is it'll drive the price up and it, it, it could be the way an order book works visually is imagine looking at three columns mm-hmm. okay the middle column, Rep, and, and on every line of this column from top to bottom is the price, right? So, you know, $1, $2, $3 down the page. The stock in question is trading at a price, and the price that's currently traded is represented in the middle column. Right. The column on the left and everything down would be everybody willing to sell at a higher price. Mm-hmm. Okay. The column on the right, and going up, so back toward the lower numbers, 
would be everybody willing to buy at a lower price. And the price in between the, the last buy and the sell is that middle column. And that sort of shows you how many orders do you have above or below this price. And computers will look at that. And on a low volume day, they may find that there are very few people with orders on either side above or below and a price. And it'll exploit that? It will exploit it. It mm -hmm. will look for an opportunity to buy all of the people that want to sell at a certain price. It'll just come in with one big order and take them all out. Mm -hmm. It'll just buy everything. And the price will move really quickly because there's no other orders in between to fill in those micro positions, right? Mm -hmm. There's no small orders to... So that low volume, you can get really intense movements by the aggressiveness of the buying or the selling. Did we see that today? Did we see aggressive moves? Well, we did from, say, like 10 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. or so. Um, right about 10.30, the price of the SPY was up near $396, $397. And then by about 11.20, it was down at $393. Mm -hmm. So it's a $4 move, but that's really not a huge move. You know, that's a quarter right. of a percent. So yeah. I don't think it was very aggressive today. It was pretty mellow. The trading range was, was relatively low today. Uh, so now nah, I don't I don't think it was a big day. You know, $4 trading range on a stock that's trading about 400 bucks. Yeah. That's 1%. 1%, yeah. And I mean it's not no volume, right? I mean clearly it, you know, 1% swing is not nothing. Mm -hmm. You could, you know, traders were able to make some micro trades and maybe make money there. But I I the the point is that low volume makes for really interesting discussions because these markets are we've trended down this week. That was not super surprising given what we saw in uh, like Thanksgiving weekend or Thanksgiving mm -hmm. week, which there was really only well, there was three and a half trading days that week, right? And they're and they're all pretty, pretty low volume because everybody's going mm -hmm. off on vacation. <laughs> but the prices went higher. Prices drifted higher a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't on Friday. Right. Yeah. And then Monday was down pretty significantly. I think we were down, you know, one and a half, two percent, mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit of follow through today. So it's very interesting to watch because now you've got the news cycle starting to change. People are starting to say, "Well, look, the economic data is starting to soften. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Fed is going to stop raising rates, and maybe that's good for the markets, and so maybe the prices will rally." And we've kind of seen that optimism a little bit in the market. Well. Like we have a little bit, but it's 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 is an it a little spooky one. though. Well, here's what I want to kind of talk our way through today. Okay, and so for for you, our esteemed listeners, why do you care? And I think the the short answer is the short time horizon. Mm -hmm. I feel like this market has gaslit us to the point that it's a lot easier to start thinking short term. I would say that's very true. Right? And the news cycle and and everything about it, it's like, well, what's the next calamity to occur? You know, what's the next rate hike? What's the next this? What's the next that? And and there is stuff that's messed up. Mm -hmm. Right? But I want us to take a look at the context and try to figure out, okay, so where are we in a big cycle? Okay? And and what might drive things from here and what are things that I believe we should consider as investors. Okay. Okay. So the number one thing that I think you need to figure out is when when you're an investor, first of all, are you buying or selling? Okay? That seems basic, but a lot of people might 
not know. Well, it seems basic. And if you're thinking to yourself, what do you, why would you say that? Well, look, if you already own something, mm -hmm. then you can make a decision about whether or not it's a good time to sell. Mm -hmm. If you don't yet own something, you can make a decision about whether or not to buy. Okay. And it's a funny thing because I, my experience has been that in the world of, in the world of finance, right? In mm -hmm. the world of finance, we have a lot of folks that are practitioners that are, they're really salespeople masquerading as uh, planners or mm -hmm. something besides sales. Now, I'm really not dogging on sales per se. I mean, that, that makes the economy go. And so I'm not suggesting now unethical sales. Yes. You know, you're not giving somebody complete information and you're manipulating so that they buy something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we got an issue, but the, the process of sales in and of itself, let's not demonize that for what it, you know, there's, it's, it really is the, the oldest profession. Mm -hmm. That other one's the second oldest, <laughs> which is really a form of sales. Ew. Um, <laughs> the point is that if you're a buyer of stocks, we got to figure out what's a fair price. Mm -hmm. Now, we can play this game with anything, right? What's a fair price? So we could talk about it in real estate. We could talk about it in groceries. We could talk about it in gasoline. Okay. Now, in the short term, the fair price is a willing exchange between two people, mm -hmm. right? That's the fair price. If you were willing to pay it and somebody else was willing to sell it, that was fair. Now, that doesn't mean it's the price that you like, and it may not mean the price that's on sale. So we need to talk about, is this market on sale or not? Ooh. Okay, We're so gonna that's go deep, the question. We? We're going to talk about, is the market on sale? But first, speaking of sales, we got to take this break because there are advertisers supporting this program. So listen closely and then come back and we'll talk about is the market on sale. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. David, the, the, these breaks keep getting shorter. Well, I, I, we, we talked through the break and then we're like, oh no, the break's over. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. David Matt in studio. Yep. And get caught up on the podcast. Well, I don't know what it is. At the break, I to, the first break, I always remind people, if you have not caught, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can get the rest of the context from the podcast. Where do they go to get it? Our webpage. Hmm. Right? So if you go to littlejohnfs.com, because financial services, ha, super clever. Right? So littlejohnfs.com. And you can explore in there. There's a bunch of stuff going on. But look under the Educate tab. And you will find the podcasts. There's right? a lot of other cool stuff there's under that educate stuff. There's, tab there's too. There's calculators and there's other tools. There's if you're interested in you know financial plan or a stress test of your investments, stuff like that. We got cool tools on the web. Um, people don't utilize it a whole lot, but yeah, you know I get it. It's it's a local program, and a lot of folks don't even think to do that. But cool cool tools to engage with if mm -hmm. you're interested. Mm -hmm. Okay, where did we leave off though? Well, is the market on sale? That was the question. Oh, man, that's a loaded question, David. Right? And so we're, I think we're really going to answer a couple of questions. Like, okay. is the market on sale? And one of the questions is, yeah, is it on sale? How do we evaluate? And then the other question is uh, the bigger question of, like, well, does how does the economy factor into this? Okay? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, well, gosh, you know, we're going to go to a recession, so the stock market's going to tank, right? You know, well, not necessarily, but this is – got to talk – talk through this a little bit. The first thing I want to share with everybody is 
that the stock market largely is considered a leading indicator. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we all understand what that means, right? Everybody's yeah. nodding. Okay, a leading indicator means that we expect the market to move before the data confirms something happens. It's it's in the front or leading the trend. And and if it's something that we expect us to see after the fact, right? Like, oh, well, how do we know about a recession? Well, we'll see GDP numbers go negative. Oh, when will we see that? After it happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a lagging indicator. So we, right. we don't really call a recession until after it happened or until we redefine the term enough times that it, we can never call it a recession, okay? And those of you that know what I'm talking about, you're nodding right now. And mm-hmm. You're like, uh-huh. Yep. So anyway, we're not here on this program to redefine terms. We'll do our best to stick to them. Okay. So first the question, is the market on sale? Man, I mean, it. there's some variables here. So okay. one of them would be, like, I look at myself, right? I'm relatively young, and... I know that I'm not going to be accessing my retirement money for a lot of years. So today, right now, compared to where I'm going to be in 30 years, the market's really on sale. Sure. sure. I'm looking at a long time horizon. So long time horizon. So mm-hmm. one could say, all right, well, you can buy it and you can afford to just kind of ride this thing out. Right. That's one way to look at it. Okay. What's another way? Well, if I had maybe just a savings account where I could access that money at any time, I might say to myself, you know, we're kind of riding a little bit of a a heat wave from the prior week and the stock has, you know, the stock market's moved higher. Maybe today at this moment, I don't want to be a buyer. Maybe I want to wait for a better price in the future because this is my savings and I'm going to be able to access this money whenever I want. And I have a short time horizon and I'm just here to to flip money and, and turn a buck, right? Okay, so I'm hearing maybe you have a really short time horizon and you're thinking yeah. you, that there may be I'm a, playing the market advocate. will go lower. Yeah, I'm okay. playing both sides of this Okay, coin. so that's a you know, really long time horizon. It's on sale, short time horizon, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to steer this conversation towards more of a mechanical definition. Okay. How do we know if something is on sale? Right. Okay. And what's one of the things that you look for? Well, it's it's funny. I look for a lot of things. So first, I want to bring some other parallels into our lives to give us a sense of how this would work. One of the most and I like to do this for. So I, I realize if you're listening right now and you're like, where is he going with this thing? OK, I, stocks are something that are a bit of a mystery or they have a lot of moving parts. And so uh, when you when you look at like. This, it's not just supply and demand. Like, like, well, how do you know how much Apple is worth as a company? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's like a trillion-something-dollar company, right? Well, it's a trillion-dollar company because there's a certain number of shares in existence, and there's a price per share. And if you multiply those out, that's the value of all the shares out there if you could sell them all if you could sell for the them, price right. right this second. But what if no one wants to buy Apple? Well, then it's zero, right? If nobody's right. willing to buy it, then it's worth zero. And then there are other ways that we could try to tackle the value of Apple. Like, well, what if we sold all the buildings and all the equipment and everything else? And, you know, then there's a different, like, you know, chop shop value if we were mm-hmm. to just break it apart and sell all the pieces. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff. And then there's things that are really intangible, like Apple owns patents. Well, how do you value those? 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's intellectual property. That's pretty intangible. But somebody's assigning a value somewhere. So, yeah, we got a lot going on. <clears throat> anyway, when you think about this cocktail of stuff going on, uh, it, it's easy to get confused by stocks. So let's go to something that's more tangible and and use that as a point of reference just for a moment. OK, let's talk about real estate. All right. OK. You can see it, touch it, live in it, you know, mm-hmm. run a business there. Uh, and so here's a, a, a real intangible thing. How do you know the value of a house? That's a tough one, right? right? You can do a few things. You can look at houses in the area that have recently sold and try and use that as a comparable measure for okay. what you might pay per square foot. Right. And that's that's a really common one. So mm-hmm. common, in fact, I'll use this term self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Right. I mean, really, the, uh, the house is worth somebody what somebody's willing to sell it for and another person's willing to buy it for. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to assess the value in the marketplace, you look at what other investors have agreed to. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your consideration. Right. Yeah. So. So. Sure. But let's. You know, there's another way to look at this, kind of like the chop shop value of Apple, right? Well, Mm -hmm. what would it cost if that house burned to the ground and you had to go get all the materials and rebuild it? Mm -hmm. Right? What's that cost? Okay. Well, now you have a different point of reference. Is that is that cost higher or lower than what the market is bearing right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what about the available land? Yeah, right? how much is it the is there lots of it and it's easy to get or is it really scarce? Mm-hmm. Right? All of these are considerations. And I think what you can start to see is there's not a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. There is going to be components that are going to influence any investor's decision. Okay? So yeah. so the same is going to be true of stocks as it depends on what you look for, right? I would wager that uh, you know, two investment names that get that are really on opposite ends of the spectrum, and it's kind of funny. So, Warren Buffett, maybe mm-hmm. you've heard of the guy. Yep. Okay. Classic value investor. Right. Right. Buys companies that he perceives to be on sale mm-hmm. at a discount. He thinks the market's not fairly valuing it. He also has the advantage that he typically is able to buy entire companies. And when you buy the whole company, you can go in and you can restructure and you can bring in other management teams and change employees and practices and so forth. So he has a history that's pretty good of being able to buy businesses and make them work better and then you know drive revenue and increase value. He also has a history that you know started back in the insurance industry. I think you really look back and you know he started with Geico and that created the the war chest that he was able to really build from, uh, amongst other things. But he's right. been, you know, a multi multi decade successful investor by being patient and waiting for his opportunities to come to him, because he waits for things to be on sale mm-hmm. and doesn't really care what the market's doing around him. You know, stock market's up, who cares? Stock market's down, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I buy when it's on sale, and I sell when I think it's too expensive. And he rarely sells things. Right? If he really likes the company, he just buys it and hangs onto it forever. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really long-term buy and hold value investor. Other end of the spectrum. Jim Cramer. Yeah. What is the buy today? Right. And that's all he focuses on. Yeah. Jim Cramer's a buy high, sell higher guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. What has current momentum? What is popular? 
what has got the pop and sizzle and attention in the marketplace, go buy that thing and ride it even higher because everybody wants it. And then dump it before you get burned. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of the idea. And and except I rarely hear I mean he does say sell things, but a lot sure. of the time it's more of a don't buy it. I hear more don't buy than sell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes he says, Yeah, I like this other thing better. Right. Anyway, very different philosophies. Is one right or wrong? No, because both can be profitable. Yeah. It depends on the timing and the market conditions, mm-hmm. right? Warren Buffett oftentimes gets sort of uh, questioned when the markets are going up. They're like, well, has he finally lost his touch? Is, you know, old Uncle Warren's, you know, needs to be put out to pasture. And then the markets go down and all of a sudden he looks like a hero. Mm-hmm. But when the markets are raging, you know, this buy high, sell higher momentum strategy can really be profitable. But, so it's and it that's where depends. Warren Buffett typically tends, tends not to, to be underperform a, in raging yeah, markets and exactly. tends to look good in defensive markets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, how do you know if the market's on sale? Well, we know a few things that we can think about. One, there are metrics to look at for the current market. Like, what are mm-hmm. some of the things that we can look at to give us a sense of the value of a stock right now? Well, we could look at historical PE ratios, right? Okay. We can Which look is at, what? It's like a multiple, right? So, how much do you well, have? What's to, PE mean? Oh, the price that you have to pay for a dollar of earnings within a company. Yes. Okay. And so you can say, well, that company, if I have to pay $40 for every $1 of earnings and the market averages $20 for every $1 of earnings, well, they're trading it at a premium. And so do I believe that that company is worth that added you know, piece that I'm having to pay? Right. And then what we have to do, too, is consider the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Because it could be that... Amazon is you pay forty dollars for one earning one dollar of earnings, mm-hmm. where Chevron you pay thirteen dollars for one dollar of earnings, right? Or something along those lines, right, right now. Does that mean that Chevron is cheaper than Amazon? Not necessarily, because what if the industry averages thirteen and then Chevron is on par with all the other companies within sure. that sector? And and let's consider for a second that Amazon may be still expanding as a company, getting mm-hmm. into different markets, right. selling different things. Whereas, whereas some companies might be well, yeah, a, a traditional oil company may actually be mm-hmm. shrinking right. because there's a a broad push to reduce the use of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So it's a good example. You know, very different macro trends and influences between mm-hmm. these two companies. Right. So you can't just assume that that one company is a better deal because of one single piece. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we say, is the market on sale? It's there like, are... well, what metrics are you using to gauge it? Yep. Like, what are, what are you using to analyze this? Are you using one tool? Are you using two, three? I mean, there's an infinite number of ways to measure these things. Right. The problem is there's also an infinite way, number of ways to rationalize, mm-hmm. right? And then you've created a different problem. Now you have your own bias involved. Yep. And we're all guilty of it, aren't we? Sure we are. I mean, yeah. we all go data fitting, looking for the things that we want to confirm our case. That's really common. So the the trick is, if you're going to do market analysis, you know, you Maybe need context. A, what about a standard set of rules? Maybe that's a good idea for well, investors. Well, I think it can help. Yeah. But this is where I think the context matters because what happens is markets behave in different ways at different times. Mm-hmm. In and so this is now we're going to start tying some of this back together. 
Okay. Now, if you're just joining us, the question of the day is, is the market on sale? Mm-hmm. And we've just talked about how, well, it depends. How do you value the market? But now I, what I would suggest is, well, it depends. What's the economic backdrop for how we value the market? Mm-hmm. Okay. And now we can get into some things like, were the 1970s the same as the 1980s that was the same as the 1990s or the early 2000s? Clearly no. not true. No. Clearly not. I mean, so we can look at history and get some information. Then we have to look out into the future and maybe make some prognostication. Yeah. And Let's do that. If we do that, what might that mean? Well, that I think is the question that everybody, oh. like, I bet our listeners are wondering, uh, what can you predict the future? What's the market telling us? Short answer. No, sort of, maybe, kind of. I'm going to go with maybe. But we're going to take this break. All right. We'll do that, and when we come back, behold the future. All right. (laughs) And other stuff. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Pat Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where we are trying to determine today. Is this market on sale? Yeah, and we've got a crystal ball that we can sell you for five ninety nine. Um, tell you all you need to know, right? Yeah, it's way more expensive than that. I'm oh, saying nineteen ninety nine free shipping. It's it it works. You know, thirty seven percent of the time it works all the time. Ooh, so, great odds. Yeah. Uh, look, it's a funny question and one that's fair. It's it's fair to ask, but it's just it's sort of impossible to answer mm-hmm. because when we are talking about um, what's a fair price, yeah, what is what's fair, right? Mm-hmm. And and so then we start to you know try to break down uh, well, what are different ways that we can value something, and we talked about you know all the different ways that we can value. And we used real estate as an example, but we're talking about the, the markets right now, and. One of the things is we look at, well, what's historically been a way to value? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or what formula, this is what analysts do. They have their formula where their company says, well, this is the way that we analyze a stock to determine where. And, and, and think of it like it's a big math problem, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, X equals, you know, LSMFT. And the idea is that you plug in different variables and then you can plug in where you anticipate the variables will go and it will sort of spit out. The price at the end, right? The overvalue, undervalued. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's where you get these pricing projections. Is some analyst comes in and goes, "Well, we're looking at the balance sheet, and we're looking at what their sales are, and what they're projecting, and this is what they're telling us in their quarterly calls." And uh, you know, when we use all this data and run it in our formula, it gives us an estimated value here, and then we compare it to the other peer companies and what we're seeing them doing, and we expect you know outperformance from this company over that one. And so that's where we come up with our, our right. rationale. And then they look at the price it's trading at and say yeah is does our projection show that the price should be higher than it is right now yep and and that is what we would largely call bottom-up analysis using fundamental data right mm-hmm. so here's the, the the fundamental data associated and we're going to you know put it in our formula to, to generate a value and then if if the current value is less than that they will say well then we would recommend that you you know buy it right mm-hmm. and Oftentimes they already own it too, so it's like, well, of course you want me to buy it. You want the price to go up, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they're they're not trying to genuinely give a projection where it's going. It's just that's their methodology, and 
there's no agreed upon methodology. No, okay? everyone has their own ways of analyzing the market. Yeah. So you so what what I suggest is look at the way the market is valuing it now. Like what what are the current value metrics? Mm-hmm. You can get a sense of what other analysts are doing. You can look at what they're saying as well. It's not wrong to get their opinions, but then I like to look at that and say, does the story make sense in the context of what we see going on around us? And this is where I think some top-down analysis matters. Right. You're kind of tying this back to, do all of these articles about, you know, oh, is this a bullish market right now? Do those articles make sense with what we're actually seeing in real time? And and to help you guys out, prior to the show... Mm-hmm. Matt and I were talking about this, and I said, I'm just a little suspicious that everybody's getting bullish right now when the data is still suggesting that the Fed needs to you know, keep raising rates. I would say there's a few data points that come in soft, and everybody's like, all right, well, the Fed can be done now. It'll be, you know, it's off to the races. Right. And then you see all the articles coming out. Oh, we're, yeah, we're feeling you know, good about things now. <laughs> and I. I guess and you I'm say, just where's more your suspicious. support? Yeah, where's your supporting evidence? I think is where you're kind of trying to take this. Like, what evidence do you have that things are better? Yeah, and give so, me the details. So we talked about bottom-up analysis using mm-hmm. using the data, and then applying your value methodology to come up with an estimated price. Top-down analysis is looking at the big market as a whole, and then you know drilling down into finding investment ideas based on what you think the market is offering you. So maybe right now, higher interest rate environment. And uh, like, like here's a, a kind of a real thesis. Okay, This is not a recommendation, by the way, but this is sort of a real thesis that we've been playing around with at our office, which is last week we talked about the yield curve for investments. Mm-hmm. And we said the short-term rates are higher than long-term rates and that that's right. not typical. right? And 30-year was higher than 20-year, I think. But the ten year was lower than the three year, two year, and the three yeah. year. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's really it's a bad odd. Sign, yeah. That that the short term rates are higher than long term rates, and it suggests that the market doesn't have confidence that this economy is going to continue to go higher, and so it's not pricing in higher long term rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if that's the case, and and that could take a while to filter into long term rates. By right, the way, but so. it hasn't tipped its hat saying. We're out of the weeds. But but let's say maybe the thesis is that, okay, well, short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. And so we may be at a point where interest rates are beginning to pe- start to peak. Mm-hmm. And and we've looked at the Fed funds futures rates, and that's what people expect the Federal Reserve to do. And we think there's a couple more rate hikes, maybe 1% higher. But the market knows that. So maybe we're seeing these rates priced in already, in which case it'd be interesting to buy bonds now with maybe three to five year duration mm-hmm. in anticipation that rates would start falling in the next 18 months. And then months, your bonds sell at a premium. And then the bonds go up in value mm-hmm. while you're collecting a coupon. Again, I'm not making a recommendation to you. I'm just saying follow the logic. That is a top-down analysis of what is going on in the marketplace and what opportunities might present themselves. Right. So you can look at both of those, and when you can find scenarios where you know the bottom-up analysis and the top-down analysis agree with each other, you've increased the probability that you're going to be right. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee it. Just inc- improve the probability because multiple ways to view this suggest that it's a good bargain. It does. Okay. So 
then you say, well, is is the market on sale? And I go, well, then we got to look at the economy too, don't we? Mm-hmm. And what I can't tell is, is the economy, is it? It's throwing you mixed signals. That's yeah, the hard part because I mean, people heard it on the the radio show. It's still we strong anecdotally, mm-hmm. but it is weakening. Mm-hmm. But but here's you know, what did we just hear? Yeah, we just oh, heard that we broke records in consumer spending over the holiday season where Black Friday and Cyber Monday hit all-time record highs, mm-hmm. yet there's all these signs that say we're tipping into a recession. So we have convoluted data, and the market doesn't know what to think about it, does it? Because right. we've seen so many swings in both directions. The market's trying to figure it out. The market doesn't know. We're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We don't know because we don't have a crystal ball. But right. we do know that there's implied volatility. Well, we, we definitely know that, well, implied volatility well, is we a- We know that there is volatility. Yeah, there's <laughs> volatility. Because if just, it, yeah, anybody listening to the show, that that's a dog whistle, right? Because implied volatility is actually a formal metric in, in options pricing. Yeah. Okay? But- um, <laughs> Well, and the options have been pretty volatile themselves, too. <laughs> Although- that's another sign, right? And you know, those there's all these funny indicators. You know, we we've been tracking the price of options, and largely the price of options has come down over the last six seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And now the price of options is getting so low that so almost every time this year that the options prices have been this cheap, the markets have been turned around and gone south. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's like well the the cost of insuring your portfolio is way down right now. Therefore volatility starts to go up. And that would make sense considering where we, and we talk about the VIX actually quite a bit on the show. Yeah. Just looking at volatility, I mean, that number is at around 20 right now, 22. And it had been as high, you know, not too long ago as 30. So volatility is measuring pretty low. The market's pretty high and they've mm-hmm. been pretty inversely correlated. They have. So as we look at all of this, well, this we, I mean, certainly our investment committee has to grind through this data. It's part of our job. But for you as investors, uh, I, I think what I'm encouraging you to do is first take a step back. I mean, if we look at the economy and we try to use data to extrapolate, you know, first let me ask you, Matt, do you have a sense? Uh, this is not a not a graded test either, yeah. but try to give me your roadmap over the next three months, six months, nine months, and twelve months. Like, just okay. how do you? How do you foresee things sure. playing out? Short term, I think we can go a little bit lower from here, right? So let me let me pause. I'm, oh. gonna, I'm sorry. No, I don't. Okay. I don't want your predictions for the market. Oh, okay. okay. I want your predictions for the economy. Like, oh. like look at do do we continue to see you know strong consumer? Mm-hmm. Do we see spending uh, fade? Do we see the job losses occurring? Yes. Do we like what are your projections for corporate earnings over the next? 12 months I think quarterly. we have I think the earnings have to go lower. I think we have to see more job loss. We're starting to see it, right? Like HP just laid off 6,000 employees. We're starting to see it now, mainly in the bigger tech companies, but that's going to have a trickle down effect, right? And I just look at this and say, we're we're starting to see the early phases of this thing. Um, job wages are really 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 high right now because we've had a shortage of workers. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I think we have to see a little bit of a correction, right? If as if we see people getting laid off, you, I mean, we've talked about this before. You can't give someone 
that is at the company a pay cut, right? But you yeah. can you can fire them and then they can go try and find a job and as more and more people get laid off, they can go accept a similar job at a lower wage. Yeah. That, and that was 2008, if you recall. A bunch of people lost their jobs, and then they went back into the marketplace, and they took new jobs at lower price points. And I think we can see that starting to develop. Yeah. So that that's very so interesting. Um, and, and so I want to... Oh, doggone. What? Look at this. Okay, well, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. Okay. We So let's do this. Let's grab our last break. All right. Because I think you're on to something. I want to talk more about jobs and then how this all ripples through the system. But, okay. All right. Last break. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth radio show where Matt and I are predicting the future. Mm hmm. Okay. And we're always right. So there you yeah. go. Uh, except when we're not. <laughs> yeah. I, that's always the stupid disclosure that we have to put on there because, uh, you know, you say you're predicting the future, and if you get it wrong, then people blame you like, well, you said. <laughs> so, all right, maybe we can't predict the future, but what if we were to say we can take a reasonably educated guess and look at the data, mm -hmm. and that would be not crazy to help inform some of your decision. Okay, not all, but some. We're just following the scent trail. Okay. So first of all, Matt, I think you were onto something. I was saying, give me kind of your next year's outlook on the the corporate earnings landscape mm -hmm. and the economic landscape. And I think the biggies were, where do you see interest rates, unemployment? Like, like what are the things that the Fed has mm -hmm. to consider to navigate interest rates? And how does that affect the corporate landscape? Okay, should we hit these fast and quick. Yes. So interest rates, I think we're going to see interest rates continue to climb higher because the Fed says they're going to keep hiking rates. But I don't think we're going to get a soft landing. I think that we're going to kind of break the system a little bit. And then once spending grinds to a dead halt, the Fed's going to have to say, whoa, we got to lower rates. We got to get some life back into this economy. So with rates continuing to move higher, the economy should follow suit and kind of you know, go lower. Um, recessions, though, typically don't last more than, what, 16 months on average? I think that was the average. Oh, I don't even know if they last that long. Yeah. So I don't think that we're going to be in pain for a really long time. So 12 months from now, we might be kind of close to a bottom, if I had to guess. And I think that economically we start to, to recover from there. Okay. Now the weird question is, do you think the stock market follows that trend as well? No, it's going to get out ahead of it, in my opinion, because we already saw the market price a lot of this stuff in early, and it ran its way down. We lost you know, 20% from January, and the market historically tends to get out in front of the economy. And so if it senses that rates are going to improve, then it there's a lot of people that want to make money, right? Sure. And so they're going to jump into this thing and say, hey, this is an opportunity to buy. Okay. Black swans. Black okay. swan what event. Are, what are things that... China has been gearing up. There's an article that said they want to quadruple the size of their um, military supplies between now and like 2027. And by the year 2027, they want to have full ownership of Taiwan. Okay. That's a black swan event. Okay. Black swan event. Uh, any others you can think of? Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, that caught you no, off guard. no. There, there's a lot. I'm just trying to pick which one yeah. that I think is like most likely to. I'll happen. throw one out there. Uh, the current communist regime of China loses control of their the the social mm. uh, picture right now, if you will. With the you're seeing this sort of growing. Uh, protest group and mm-hmm. it's 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 transitioned to more symbolic right i mean I'm reading about yeah. how a white piece of paper being held up it's a blank sign and that's now uh, a a symbol of protest and you know what, what do you do you go and yeah. take the sign there's right. nothing on it so like so you're saying you'll take the sign if i say nothing right, right? so i mean there's there's some some real powerful movements at hand well, that are socially could be if if the communist regime were to be disrupted, that could be a major oh, global you, economic disruption. Y- yeah, imagine if we can't import at the same rate. Sure, that drives our costs much higher. And I mean, I guess another black swan event would be, what if uh, Putin continues to digress in health and lobs a nuke, right? That's, I think and that's Europe, a huge Europe and very real term. consideration. Yeah. I mean, that right. could happen. We've talked about. I mean, my my position uh, is that you know. I think Putin's okay losing Ukraine, but leaving it a smoldering pile of rubble. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, well, hey, if we can't have it, nobody can. Yep. So I think there's a a very very real risk there. Uh, what else? Mm. I mean, I guess what if our own government has issues and just prints money again at another crazy rate, and we can't get. Inflation yeah, just, under control. What just if a we hard sh- landing. And what if right? we just shoot ourselves in the foot? Well, yeah, we could continue to have um, bad behavior in Washington, and I define mm-hmm. that as behavior that is misaligned with anything the Fed's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have a and a, we've a seen factions. that multiple times now. That's the mm-hmm. scary thing. Yeah, we've seen it multiple times within the last year. So I think all of these are are real considerations. Uh, I think the big picture I see that's concerning is. That we have the makings for a global recession, based That's on tough one. the high price of everything, mm-hmm. and the Fed can only do so much domestically to try to engineer a soft landing at home, but they can't affect the global impact. Mm-hmm. And there are some issues with raising rates oh. here harms Europe, and so there's these knock-on effects of policy that I think are really problematic. I've got one more black swan event. Yeah, diesel. I keep going back to it. I've said it multiple times. If we can't get more supply of diesel and we can't refine it and we keep running into the shortage and keep drawing on our reserves, our reserves only have so far to go. If the diesel problem became as bad as some people say that it could, I mean, we got to transport stuff. If you tack on higher and higher and higher prices until it breaks, I mean, there goes inflation right there. Yeah, It's out of control at that point. So it's still not a for sure it's not scenario. A given, no. Right? So it yeah. could be more on sale, but things could also get better and this could be a great price point. Yeah. So So maybe we don't have the crystal ball, David. Well, I mean, we have enough of a crystal ball to be realistic. Yep. Right? And that's the key. What what I would suggest is Staying certainly grounded. The, the market is on sale relative to the start of the year. Mm. Uh, I am not ready to sound the all clear or Mm -hmm. declare that the bottom of this market is in place, 
despite the short-term optimism when people say, well, I think we may have a little rally at the end of the quarter Everyone or something. Everyone wants to be an optimist, right? Uh, it's more attractive, certainly. Yeah. But, you know, we're not paid to be optimists nor pessimists. Realist. How about that? Realist. Exactly. What if they want to talk? What if our listeners want to talk to a realist? How do they do that? Okay. So I think this is the part where we give them our phone number. All right. 541-375-0898. That does sound familiar. Yes. Okay. Uh, remember, you can also text that number. Okay. So if you want to reach the team there. Email. And, uh, email. That's info at littlejohnfs.com. The reason we're sharing this is because I, I do think this is a very interesting time here. I will tell you that a lot of portfolios, uh, for a lot of you investors out there, have spent a lot of years avoiding fixed income for good mm -hmm. reason. It's probably back in vogue short term, or it may be coming back in vogue. So it's a very useful time to take a look. Plus, it's the end of the year. So it's time to do, remember, tax loss harvesting, and then take a look at uh, your strategy. Make sure you're well positioned going into 2023. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're out of time for now. So thanks as always. That number one more time, Matt? 541-375-0898. All right. Well, until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM at 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.